Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Leviticus chapter 22. Leviticus chapter 22, hear now the word of our God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has had an emission of semen and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he be made made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean and afterward he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts, and so make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it, and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired servant shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the, of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. Yet no layperson shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or of the sheep or of the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, But for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them, because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. 
But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You can see how chapters 19 to 22 are all woven together by this this language of be holy for I the Lord your God am holy which is how we started back in chapter 19 and we heard that again in chapter 20 verse 26 you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine and now at the conclusion of chapter 22 that I am the Lord who sanctifies you you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Now, as what I hope, I hope you're seeing one of the things. If if the only thing you get out of the whole book of Leviticus is that the point of holiness is not just that God's out there and make, that's what makes him different from us, but the point of holiness is that that's what impels God to draw near to us and to open a way that we can draw near to Him. If that's the only point you get out of Leviticus. You got the point. Because notice how this ends the section here in chapter 22. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The very God who is holy is the one who makes us holy so that we might draw near to him who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Holiness and relationship should never be, never, never drive a wedge between those. God's holiness is that which impels him to draw near, to be, to connect with his people. And that's why holiness for us must always include the same dynamic. What does it mean to be holy? To be set apart, to be separate, yes. But particularly that you should be set apart, you should be separate. To be mine, says the Lord. That I, the Lord, am holy, yes, and so you shall be holy to me. There's a directionalness to this holiness. We saw in chapter 19 how we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. The two great commandments that Jesus talks about in Matthew 22 are both right there in Leviticus 19. Love for God and neighbor is at the heart of holiness, It's about all of the exhortations to holiness that we've been seeing in chapters 19 to 22 are all about the importance of engaging well, loving well, drawing near to God, but also then how we relate to one another, seeking connection, seeking relationship. So God's holiness is not that which makes him far off and distant, but that which, because he is holy, he and he wants relationship. He wants to draw us near. There's a problem, and that's where the whole book of Leviticus has been dealing with. Okay, so how do we get this unholy people to get near a holy God? This is what we got to get figured out. Because if 
holy God, unholy people. Okay, there's life and there's death. Okay, how do we bring this together? And holiness requires separation from evil because we are separated to and for God. He made us for himself. And so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. So things that are moving in the direction of the unclean and worse are moving towards death. Things that are clean and moving towards the holy are moving toward life. And now, particularly in these, in the, in these last couple weeks, we've been looking at the priests. That just, yes, the people are called to be holy, but there's a special holiness focused on the priests because the priests are those who are called by God to enter his presence and, in that sense, bring Israel with them. And we saw last time in the, the chapter 21, the first two parts of this, how the priests were to uh, avoid defilement and their physical holiness. And now tonight, as we turn to the holy things, we talk about who may partake of the holy things and then what animals may be offered as holy sacrifices. And, and you may have noticed the, the requirements for what kind of animals you bring are exactly the same requirements for what kind of priest may bring them. So watch this, because the requirements for the priest and the requirements for the sacrifice are the same. So if you're, if you're, not, if you're going, ooh, 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 is that Jesus? Okay, you're, you're on the right track. So, well, so, well, 21 dealt with the social and physical holiness of the priests. Now we're dealing with the holiness of the sacrifices. So verses 1 to 16 speak of the priest's handling of the offerings. And this is where the priests need to remember that since they deal with holy things every day, they have to be reminded, don't let familiarity breed contempt. You need to have respect for the holy things of the sacrifices. And the the holy things refer to the various animals that are being brought as sacrifices, uh, offerings to the Lord. Those who approach the holy things while unclean Uh, must be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And to be cut off from the presence of the Lord would mean to be banished from the priesthood. Uh, So, and verses 4 to 8 give us a bit more detail. This is echoing the language of chapters 11 to 15. Uh, Leviticus, Leviticus makes it clear that an unclean priest may not serve in the sanctuary. If you are unclean through touching unclean things, then... The presence of the unclean in the holy place turns the holy place into a common place. And if the holy place becomes a common place, then there's no way to get to God. Because the holy is moving towards God, the common is in that sort of like in-between land. And if the holy becomes common, that's a downward slide into the unclean and death. But this is where as the common as, as brings as come the clean it becomes holy that's movement toward God and life and the priest who fails to maintain his cleanness profanes the sanctuary and therefore brings death into the sanctuary of life and that sh- should result in the priest being removed from the priesthood now as you go through Israel's history you'll, you'll see <laughs> yeah they didn't always do very well at this um but this is part of, part of the reason why exile comes, because Israel refused to obey God. And that's where God's like, ah, I want to draw you near myself, but you're, you're, not, you're not getting it. 
And verse 9 then highlights this in making clear that the priest who profanes the sanctuary deserves death. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. I am the one who makes them holy. And so when they refuse to keep my charge, they bear sin for it and they die. Now, notice it doesn't say, and they shall be put to death. This is not something that the magistrates in Israel are supposed to go out and execute priests who fail. No, no, God says, this this one's on me. Um, And and as you know full well, uh, sure, there's Nadab and Abihu who who die on the spot. It's actually very rare that God has people die on the spot. What does God normally do? But God is patient, and he is merciful, and he gives them a chance, and he gives them chances, and he gives them chances. And it starts to look to everybody else like, well, hey, what we saw this morning in Psalm 14. Hey, God's never going to do anything about it, so he must not care. And God's telling them, no, no, no. I do care. I'm just, I'm not in a hurry. And I want you to repent. You see, this is the thing we need to remember when God, because we, we so easily start thinking, hey, God hasn't done anything yet, so he must not care about what I'm doing. Don't start thinking that. Because God will not be mocked. And that's where it's rather short-sighted of us to say, oh, he hasn't done anything yet. He is, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if we don't repent, then he will deal with us as our sin deserves. The priests are supposed to be the ones who mediate God's blessings to his people. If they profane the holy place, if they turn it into a common place, then there will be no place where God can meet with his people. And this special holiness of the priests is the theme of the warnings then in verses 10 to 16. Because the lay people, the rest of Israel, are not to eat of the holy things. And so hired servants or foreign guests, these are, these are, are not supposed to be eating of the, the holy things. Now, a slave, basically somebody who is part of the household, may eat of the holy things. So even, even a Gentile, if he's a slave to, in the priestly family, uh, belongs to the household of the priest, and so therefore would be allowed to eat holy things. I mean, it may sound odd to us, but the point is, if you're, if you're part of the priestly household, then you are part of this, uh, those who may eat of the holy things. On the same principle, uh, if the daughter of a priest marries an ordinary Israelite, she may no longer partake of the holy things, because she is... Uh, basically she was part of her father's household now she's part of a non-priestly household and therefore is not eligible to eat of the holy things but notice if she's widowed or divorced and has no child then she may return to her father's house and becomes part of her father's household and then may again eat of the holy things of course if she has a child then she remains in her husband's family because now that child is the heir of her husband's and so therefore She's part of that, that family. Now, we just even with those brief sort of snapshots into Israelite life, you could understand perhaps that it would be quite possible to err by accident in these matters. Sort of what would happen? You might, you, might, you might wonder, how could one accidentally, unintentionally eat of the holy things? Well, let me just give you a possible one scenario. You got... Two people have brought a ram. One brought a ram for a sin offering. Okay, that's a holy thing. 
The other was a ram for a peace offering. That's not a holy thing. That's, that's, that's a, a peace offering which the people would partake of. So you got, a, you got two legs of ram. <laughs> um, and, and you grab the wrong one. Oops. That's a holy thing. And the, the, the priest got them mixed up. He handed you the wrong one. It wasn't your fault. And now you're eating a holy thing which only the priests are supposed to eat. What do you do? And I, and I hope by now you can appreciate the seriousness of such a fault. This is a holy thing. And the things that are holy, moving towards God, moving towards life, only the priests partake of them because we need a mediator who will bring us before God. So we need the priests to partake of this in order for us to have life. And now I'm not a priest and I just ate of the holy thing. What's going to happen to me? So I hope you appreciate the seriousness of this. And then you can appreciate the mercy of God in his provision for this. What do you do about it? Well, if it was willful, then you, had, you would have to bring a guilt offering yourself. And now that's going to be a whole ram. As it is, bring a leg of ram, uh, the, the value of a leg of ram plus 20%. It's basically, it's basically there's, a, there's a 20% oops tax on accidental mistakes with respect to holy things. Which is, you know, that's, this is a very, it's a minor penalty saying, okay, recognize, mistake, okay, no, no biggie, just don't do it again. Um, and, and that's where the you know, verses 15 and 16 take the warning against profaning holy things and apply it to the people. You know, they shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Lord is the one who sanctifies his people. The Lord is the one who sanctifies the priests so that through their priestly service they might mediate God's sanctifying presence to his people. Because the result is that God is bringing a people near to himself. He's showing a way, not back to Eden, but forward to the new creation. And so that's the purpose of the holy things. And that's also then why the animals that are offered as holy things need to be without blemish. Uh, verses thir- uh, 17 to 30 then speak of the character of Israel's offerings. And particularly the unblemished offerings are supposed to be like the unblemished priests that we saw last in the last chapter. As the priest's body must be unblemished, so also the sacrifices the list that Moses gives here is pretty much exactly the same list as for the priests. Anyone who approaches the altar, the holy place, must be holy. Anything that is burned on the altar must be holy. The priest that offers and the animal that is offered must be without blemish. Now, you may have noticed the one exception. A bull or a lamb whose limb is either too long or too short may be offered for a free will offering but not in any other case. What's this about? Well, you'll notice all the other blemishes are, you might say, more serious, but sort of a limb too long or too short, okay, fairly minor detail. But the slight defect is okay for the free will offering because the free will offering, as the name suggests, was purely a 
free will offering. It was entirely up to you. If you want to do it, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It's, you know, it's basically, this is, this. if you think back to earlier in Leviticus where God said, if you want to eat meat, come to the tabernacle and uh, and offer a free will offering. This is, free. the free will offering in the wilderness is quite simply, hey dear, let's have some meat for dinner. Okay, I'll go up to the tabernacle and slaughter it for a free will offering and bring it home for dinner. That's the free will offering. So if you want to have a free will offering that's you know, slightly you know, a limb too long or too short, no biggie. Now, the other offerings are all, these are the Lord's food offerings. These are the things that, that you're, you're, you're asking God to partake of with you. And you're like, and you're seriously going to offer to God something that's defective? Really? That's the way you're going to treat your God? Uh, so this is where only pure sacrifices, only unblemished sacrifices may be offered to the Lord. Now, then verses 26 to 30, uh, I've, I've titled this so, Treating the Lower Creation with Respect because it's, it's just worth noting some of the things that God tells us about how to treat animals. Uh, verse 26 and 27 points out that no animal shall be brought as a sacrifice until it is eight days old. Why eight days old? The male child is to be circumcised on the eighth day, and the circumcision includes the shedding of blood, which is designed to set apart the child as belonging to God. Likewise, the priests are consecrated for service for seven days. When do they get to enter the holy service of God? On the eighth day. And so also the sacrifice, the animal that is brought for sacrifice, must be at least eight days old before it is suitable. So there's a connection between the male child, the priest, and the sacrifice. I know. Your brains are all going, ding, 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 Jesus! Right. Because where do you find a male child circumcised on the eighth day who is also a blameless high priest and a sacrifice without blemish? There's one answer to that question. (laughs) Jesus. God is showing Israel. All these parts fit together. The the eighth day. Why do you have to wait until the eighth day before you can offer an animal? Because he wants you to see there's a connection between all these things. And then verse 28 adds that you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. A mother animal and her young should not be sacrificed on the same day. This would mingle their blood and their bones. That's a most inappropriate mixture. The blood and bones of the offspring was once inside the womb of the mother. So to mingle up the blood and bones of mother and offspring together, that's mixed up. You may recall elsewhere that God forbade Israel to boil a goat in its mother's milk. In other words, the the life-giving fluid that nourished the young goat should not be used to cook the young goat. The imagery there is just really horrific, and we should be horrified by it. Now, the modern Jewish notion that forbids cheeseburgers is entirely beside the point. If, If you know that this milk came from that cow, and that this meat came from an entirely unrelated cow then there's nothing in the law of God that forbids a cheeseburger. So, 
some, the, the Jewish dietary, dietary laws oftentimes gave extra rules in order to make sure that we'll never accidentally break God's law. So, but that's where it's, it's not about you can never mix dairy and meat. It's about the mother of this particular cow that you're eating. <laughs> that's not supposed to be mixed together. It's the principle of the impropriety of mixing life and death. And actually, you can see how there are echoes of this when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he wondered how we could be born again. Do we have to enter into our mother's womb again? What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus says, do you, a teacher of Israel, not understand this? Jesus seems to think that Nicodemus should have understood from the law that being born again was a picture of what of what Leviticus was teaching us. That the earthly things of the law were designed to teach us heavenly things. When Moses went up the mountain to meet with God, God said to him at the end of Exodus, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. You know, the, the heavenly pattern was revealed at Sinai in earthly form. And that was good. But then... The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The heavenly pattern himself took earthly form in the womb of the Virgin Mary. No longer did earth and heaven meet in a structure of wood or of stone. Now earth and heaven meet in the flesh and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 29 reminds us that when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Now you may recall with, with certain offerings, particularly the, the vow offering or the free will offering, you could eat it on the second day, but not, until, not the third day. But this is where the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the peace offering of thanksgiving, must be eaten on the same day. So we've seen the free will offering has the loosest restrictions. Because it's entirely voluntary, there are fewer rules. The vow offering was also largely voluntary in the sense that you didn't have to take a vow. And so if you're taking a vow and now you're bringing your peace offering in fulfillment of your vow, again, that was your choice. But the sacrifice of thanksgiving is when you are giving thanks for what God has done. It's not about you. It's about him. And so all the meat needs to be eaten today. Practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, um, unless you have a really large household, you're going to have leftovers. What are you going to do with the leftovers? It's got to be eaten today. But this is a good way to feed the hungry, feed widows and orphans, feed those in need, watch, look out for who... So th- this, is, this is one of the ways in which God is providing for those in need that the hungry will be fed. And notice again, the Lord says, you know, here, why shall you do this? I am the Lord. Remember who I am. I'm the one who fed you in the wilderness. Trust me, I know what is good for you. And again, in verse 31, God says, So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Four times in four verses, from verse 30 to 33, God says, I am the Lord. (laughs) Every verse, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Remember who I am. The 
priests are to treat God as holy so that all Israel will sanctify His holy name. Why? Because I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. Indeed, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. The priests are to be holy because God is holy and because He is the one who makes Israel holy through the holy sacrifices performed in the holy place by the holy priesthood on behalf of the holy people. This is partly why we sang Psalm 51 earlier to think through because there's that, there's that line towards the end of Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17 where David says, You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Some have taken that to mean that David thinks that, well, okay, the sacrifices just aren't enough by themselves. They're just sort of rituals we go through. But then that doesn't make sense of what he says two verses later. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Why does David say that God would not delight in sacrifice or burnt offering? What's the context of Psalm 51? What had David done? He had committed adultery, and then he had committed murder. What are the offerings prescribed for the adulterer and the murderer? Oh, right, there are none. Why are there no sacrifices for murder and adultery? Because the murderer and the adulterer are supposed to be put to death. So what could you offer in place of that? Nothing. David knows that there is no blood sacrifice that can satisfy for his sin. He knows he deserves death for his sin. And so he prays, that's where Psalm 51, deliver me from blood guilt. Why? Because it's on my hands. I'm guilty. David understands that there must be something beyond the ordinary sacrifices because he does hope for the forgiveness of his sins. But there's got to be something that goes beyond what the law provided for. Otherwise, I'm toast. And that's what Hebrews tells us we have. Because when Christ, Hebrews 9, verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We now have that new sacrifice, that new priest, that new temple, that new people of God. Because Christ is the perfect priest, unblemished in soul or body. And Christ is the perfect sacrifice, unblemished in soul or body. And Christ has entered not just an earthly sanctuary, but the greater and more perfect tent. He has entered into the heavens for us, that he might deal with our sin, that That's where David understands that it's 
only because of that sacrifice that God will then be pleased with the, you might say, the ordinary worship. Because what do we do about our sin? Well, all we can do is repent. But what does Jesus do about our sin? He casts it as far as the east is from the west. He removes our sin from us and and that's where he and then calls us to then humble ourselves before him. I I know, I quote the shorter catechism on repentance a lot. I won't say too much. I don't know how to quote it too much. <laughs> because repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, think of David, out of a true sense of his sin, yeah, he got it, and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. You remove any one of those lines out of the catechism and it's just not repentance anymore. If you don't have a true sense of your sin, you're not, uh, what is that? <laughs> if you leave out the mercy of God in Christ, oh, it's just try harder. Maybe it'll do better next time. If you leave out grief and hatred of your sin, well, uh, without the grief and hatred, you're not really going to get to the next part. Does turn from it unto God? That's that turning away from the old path, turning toward. This is a big part of what God was showing Israel in these, this, this holiness code. The turning away from the unclean, the turning away from death, turning towards life, turning towards God, turning towards Him, and full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience, to walk in humility and holiness all our days. And let's ask God for help. Lord, help us, because we hear your word and we, we see your holiness and, and sometimes we, we tremble because we see our own lack of holiness and we, we see that we haven't loved you the way you've loved us. We haven't loved one another. Lord, have mercy on us and help us. Help us to turn from our sin to you. Help us to see our sin for what it is, to see the mercy of, that you have had for us in Jesus for what it is, for what he is. Because he who knew no sin became the sin offering for us that he might bear in his own body the wrath and curse that was due to us for sin. And we marvel at your great mercy to us in Jesus. And we ask that you would have mercy on us for his sake, that you would help us to see, to know, to believe your, your kindness that you have shown to us, that we might draw near to you as you have drawn near to us in the incarnation of your Son and in the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to walk humbly before you, trusting your promises and living faithfully day by day, that we might, that we might deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. As we come now to this, your table, we pray that you would strengthen us with, with the body and blood of your Son, that you would renew us and refresh us, that, that you would help us that in our daily lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in each place where you put us, in each conversation we have, may we draw our strength from you. May we find our refuge in you. May we find our comfort and our peace in your beloved Son who loved us and gave himself for us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.